This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Boo! Uh, at least we can manage our expectations now. Used up all the goals against Iran and now we can console ourselves with the fact that it probably isn't coming home. Hey, not the worst World Cup not to win. And England are probably through. Maguire was good. Obviously our anti-US bias means they won't be mentioned on today's podcast. Meanwhile, heartbreak for Wales. The defence crumpling to their knees as Iran's pressure finally told in the 8th and 11th minutes of injury time. A deserved win, especially given the situation back home. But Wales were so flat. Was it a game too far for Ramsey and Bale? Perhaps it's splitting hairs, but did Wayne Hennessy make the right decision to come out uh, ahead of that slightly interesting challenge? In Group A, Qatar's World Cup is over, while Ecuador are unlucky not to beat the Dutch. Also, quite some reaction and some breaking news in the Allo Allo policeman story. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glenn Denning, welcome. Hello. And from the Media Centre in Doha, hello Nick Ames. Hello Matt, how are you? And from the same Media Centre, hello Paul McInnes. Good day to you. Good day to you too. Russell says, if you could have the time back, what would you do for the last two hours instead? Ian says, is it time for the BBC not to have the first England game at a major tournament so the nation doesn't have to watch a dire game on ITV for the second game? Hashtag not the first time. Hashtag blame ITV. Hashtag blame Matterface. Um, let's first of all go to the Albite Stadium. Johnny Lou is there. Um, uh, Johnny, that was pre- that was pretty hard to watch from where I was. You were much closer. Did it get more exciting the closer you got? How was it? It, it was fine. I mean, it's fine from my point of view. You know, I I had to watch that, but it's my job to watch that. Uh, but I gather there would have been lots and lots of people, maybe millions of people, perhaps who watched that in their spare time, who actually maybe gave up other plans to watch that. Um, and, and you know, they're the ones we, we really got to feel for tonight. Um, you know, and, and, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was, um, it was dire. It wasn't bad, like, and it was, it wasn't bad, like other England tournament performances in the past have been. It wasn't Iceland bad. It wasn't Algeria bad because they were sort of, you know, then they were kind of huffing and puffing and, and just, just really terrible. Here they weren't like, they weren't like terrible, terrible. They weren't inept. There was just a weird lack of commitment from them. This is kind of what I've written. They didn't commit to this game in any way. It, it felt similar to the Scotland game at the Euros, Euros, I guess, in terms of, you know, they really just wanted to keep this game at arm's length. And, you know, I mean, if, if they if they get to the final, if they if they win this tournament, you know, then, then we'll forget all about this. But uh, they have kind of abdicated the right to be considered as, as favourites, I think, on that strength. Yeah, I mean, that feels like a big if, if they win this tournament, given that. I mean... What was the uh, what was the atmosphere like? It's very loud where you are, so we might not keep you on for too long, John. But what was the atmosphere? Yeah, like? well, it's interesting. Like, it's 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 loud now because the game is finished and they've turned the music back on. And you know, there's there's a, an advert for Crypto.com up there during the game itself. You know, it was it was actually even more noticeable because of how loud things are before and after. So flat, so uh, you know, vacuum-like, noiseless. There was you know there was a few USA fans making a bit of noise. The England fans trying to get something going, but mostly it was just this this void almost. So weird, like a, like a 
like a, a swimming gala in that sort of hubbub. And, and, it's, <laughs> and because the, the, the roof in this stadium, there's there's a roof over basically everything. Like it, it, it juts out way over the stands, so there's only like a, a little square of, of air at the um, at the top where you can see the sky, and, and it just the the, the, noi- the noiselessness just kind of swirled around, and, and, and so I, I don't know whether that contributed to it, but it, it, it felt a bit, you know, almost a bit pandemic-y. Mm. Uh, John says. Um, Southgate overreaction nonsense aside is this the worst game of football that's ever happened I watched Villa Southampton this season and it's worse than that I I wonder Johnny you've seen many football matches like the rest of us Uh, was that the worst football match you've ever seen where would you put it Um, well we had to do this for the the, the Guardian asked us to to compile our our worst matches and I I think until recently I would have said Hull nil Blackburn nil in late 2009 um, which after which Sam Allardyce complains that one of his players hadn't hadn't dived to win a penalty. That was the. Um, I don't know. I think I think if you ask an American, I think they'll have a much different view of that game than we will because they really, you know, they they, they really played a good game. You know, that they they came with a plan and they stuck to it and they had a lot of decent chances. And I think they will have taken a lot more encouragement and probably entertainment from that game than an England fan will. So it, it, it's not the worst, um, you know, simply because of you know the, the stakes and the tension and the fact that you know even when nothing's happening, there's the idea that when if, if something does happen, it will be kind of seismic. That that gives the fixture a sort of a little frisson. Uh, but but you know maybe people watching at home with Sam Matterface might have might have formed a different different view of it. Uh, we'll let you go, Johnny. Have a good night. Thanks. Barry, Johnny makes a good point that if you're a United States fan, you would be much more enthused from that. But from an English perspective, that was that was, incre- that was incredibly boring. It was so boring. Yeah, even from an Irish perspective, it was boring. But I took a lot of heart from that. <laughs> England were poor with the ball. They were poor without the ball. Um, Gareth Southgate's extremely questionable, in- questionable in-game management reared its ugly head again. Harry Kane was seemed horribly off the pace. But I thought in if you're trying to sort of extract the positives for England, there was a lot of good sideways passing at the back, <laughs> punctuated occasionally by some backwards passing. <laughs> John Stones and Harry Maguire passed the ball to each other with what can only be described as a plum repeatedly <laughs> over and over again. Uh, on the edge of the, the penalty area. That was good. A lot of positives from taking that. England completely lost control of their midfield and and were um, completely outplayed by Eunice, Mussel, Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney. I, yeah, I suppose the main positive to take from the game is that they didn't lose. Yeah, and, and England are probably through, Nick. And Even though Johnny said we, it, it wasn't really like other flat major tournament performances it felt a lot like a lot of England games I've seen at major tournaments where you're just sitting there thinking well eventually it'll uh, basically it got it I was thinking I always think with these games I'm quite an optimist I think oh well you know it's all right England will turn it on and I get really annoyed with people on Twitter being angry and then it was the 85th minute and I was like really it's not happened yet yeah you suddenly get there and it never really looked like happening very much did it um it was it was slow, wasn't it? It was a slow night's work. And I I think the only sort of saving grace for England is that I think it's still very unlikely that they won't top the group now. So this is hopefully the kind of thing that you get out of your system and is a sort of salutary lesson for later on when you play teams of high calibre. Um, I mean, a lot of credit to the US because a lot of the criticism of Greg Berhalter before the tournament and, and even to an extent after the Wales game when they had a much worse second half actually was that they're a bit too tippy-tappy sterile possession for nothing that kind of thing trying to control the game but not really knowing how to do it which you often see in, in sides that aren't Man City for example um, but I thought today they they were smart they they sat in squeeze for space when they had to that midfield three who you mentioned already Barry were were very very diligent off the ball very compact but they pressed as well they they picked their moments to press and have moments of pressure in the game they 
when they came forward, they committed men forward in numbers, had that good spell just before half time, obviously. And also a very good spell, I think, in the first sort of 20 minutes after half time when they were, I think, pretty comfortably <laughs> the better team. And I, I, I almost felt a bit disappointed that they didn't go for it, really. And when that's sort of 15, like, they had that free kick at the end, didn't they? When I think it was just after Kane had missed that header. And I think they got a free kick in an almost equivalent position, maybe a bit further out, 30 seconds later. And you thought, whip it in, whip it in, see what happens. But Berhalter was very much holding his fingers up, saying just put three or four in the box and just play it down the line. And they did that and played it for corner. Maybe at that point of the game, they got a result that a few had tipped them for. Um, but I think we, we've got to acknowledge the work of the other team on, on the pitch, who I think did a good job. And I think another thing I would say is that maybe... You know, the 6-2 over Iran was was great. And there were some great moments. There was some great performance by Saka. Lovely moment from Rashford, Grealish. We, we can lure them off. But Iran, as we've probably seen today, um, and we'll speak about about their, their performance against Wales, were not in a good place that day. <laughs> they had a pretty rotten build-up. I think it was a pretty bad circumstance for them to come in and play against one of the best international sides in the world. I don't think I don't think their heads were right, and I think that today, England played against a team that were tuned in, head heads screwed on, tactically, almost flawless for what they were looking to achieve, and I think it's a good lesson and a fair result. Paul, as often happens in games like this, the players who aren't on the pitch, uh, their stock rises hugely. Con says, "Who in Southgate's family did Foden kill?" Um, John says, can we have the Trent Alexander-Arnold debate again, please, just in reverse? Jamie says, at what point do we start to ask the question, is Kane actually useful to this team? Callum Wilson would offer real pressing and running in behind, which would stretch the defence. I just wonder, so, so, given the ennui in the way that England played, I, I'd wonder if any of them on the pitch would have made any difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't agree with the ennui. I, th- I think they were caught out by a very well-organised uh, uh, the U- USA who play very differently to the way they did against Wales. And I suspect very differently to the way they play most of their qualifying games when they're going to be the dominant team. They played as a, uh, you know, the, the, minor, the minus, minor part in the, in, in the chess game and they, and they, they played that very well. Um, and England were unsettled by that. And my frustrations came in that middle period of the game where they just allowed the US to dominate the ball. Um, I thought that Southgate got the uh, substitute spot on. I think Bellingham was, you know, anonymized or anonymous and and bringing on Henderson with a bit more authority, a bit more uh, experience and played more physically. And we were lacking physicality in the middle of that, in the middle of that um, pitch. And we reasserted ourselves and really at the end sort of nullified the States. And I, I, I thought that was something that positive that England can take away from this game, actually, because I thought, Eventually, we worked out the puzzle. Um, I agree with whoever the commenter was, was talking about the Trent puzzle, because for me, and I love Kieran Trippier, he's up there, top three Premier League players of the season so far. He's had two quiet games for England. He's, he's in possession, he's been poor. Um, I think it would have been a, I think it would be interesting to see if Trent gets minutes against Wales, uh, because that sort of wider range of passing, I think, would have been, I mean, I'm saying this and I know that Trippier can do that, but he's not been doing that. But I think the switch, we very rarely did in the game. We very rarely switched it from one side to the other to open up the play. And you'd look to see a bit more of that. But ultimately, I agree with you, Max. I don't think it was about personnel. It was about system. And I think uh, the United States set out in a way that, that caught us by surprise. There'll be people, I guess, um, looking at Jude Bellingham as well and thinking he, he didn't have the impact, that the fantastic impact with what was movement and passing in late runs that we saw against Iran. But I, I was I was looking back earlier to I think it was the Nations League game in June at Hungary. And I think he started and it was it was it was almost I mean England lost that game one nil as you probably remember in front of thirty thousand kids. Um but he had a very anonymous game then a very similar game to today against a team that played in in a very similar way. They really compacted the space, squeezed the midfield, gave, gave him no space to manoeuvre and he, he almost wasn't able to to act on on instinct, if you like. There was no room to do that. And Hungary, again, similarly to the US, were very good about picking their moments to move forward and, and create and, and when to sit in and let England probe. And I, I just wonder, like, I know Bellingham's doing it week in, week out in the Bundesliga and, and looking excellent, but 
stepping up to this level, even if all the teams might not be technically as good as a, as a great, as a very good German team, and doing it every three days for a month, it, it's a lot for a kid of his age. And I, I wonder whether we can expect that kind of showing from him sort of twice a week over the next month. It might just be a case that you have to cut him a bit of slack and, and also phase him in and out. And I, I think that feeds into the general sort of reality check vibe that we got today. Maguire was good, Barry. There was one stage during the second half where he just seemed to be single-handedly <laughs> repelling the Americans heading... I think it was like, was it six corners in a row? He, I, was, I think it was about 35 right. corners. He just headed, kept heading them away. And, you know, that's what he's there for. And right near the end, at the other end, he, he England had a corner and he, he got his head to it, but not didn't give it the full slab and ended up sort of like a downward header that went wide, I think. But, um, yeah, he... He did all right. He didn't do much wrong. But, you know, it's his job to head corners clear. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, I thought he was the potential candidate for man of the match tonight. But we were sitting in the media centre with um, Neil Custis, one of the legends of the press pack. And there was just a point about 70 minutes in the game where he just erupted, slab head. Oh dear. And uh, I think that kind of summed up everybody's feelings because he was, he, was, he, was, he was the one who stood up and quite a lot of the players were kind of you know, wobbling a little bit. He stood up and he, he, wasn't, he wasn't for turning, I thought. It was a, he had a very good game. There was one moment in the first half, actually, where didn't he dribble past two players along the byline? It, there was something uh, Nader Manuaha or sort of, uh, sort of Paolo Wondrup about the run. He didn't look like he was in total control, he, but he was our greatest defensive and attacking force in, in today's game, which is why... And I suppose, look, Grealish Nick made a difference, <laughs> right? He, he did that and... It doesn't doesn't necessarily mean he has to start, but he is a lovely footballer to watch. No, he he did that Jack Grealish thing of looking insistent and intense and direct and 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 you know sort of hard to get off the ball when he got on the ball and ate up space. And yeah, it certainly improved the tempo at times and gave rise to some promising moments. But I I I would struggle to say that we can make many conclusions from it, except that yes, he he does beef up the tempo as a substitute and it is nice to see him do that but everyone around him is not necessarily uh, working at a similar level what are you grinning at barry like a cheshire cat <laughs> i just i find it tremendous that you're actually sitting here trying to extract positives <laughs> from that <laughs> excellent changes that went from england being completely shy to being still shite and not scoring <laughs> And <laughs> Grealish coming on and not really doing much, but <laughs> you're right. You're right. But but wasn't that, it know. great? Hey, <laughs> drink it in, Barry. Drink it in. You're absolutely right. There is uh there's not much else we can say really after that. So Wales need to win by more than four goals to go through ahead of England. And I'm not gonna get cocky at this stage, but I would be surprised. Um a win against Wales, England top the group. It makes Iran be the USA, and we'll get onto the Wales-Iran game in a minute, but it makes Iran-USA incredibly exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it'll be a great game. I mean, Iran only have to get a point to go through. USA have to win. Um, I thought Iran looked a lot better playing on the front foot today than they looked trying to contain the other day. Um, so uh, hopefully they'll, do the, they'll play the, the, the former than the latter against the US, and the US are obviously going to have to go for it. So... I can actually see, if, if that pans out, I can see Iran nicking it, especially since, you know, the, 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 the permutations of results favour them. But there's no doubt that the United States were a lot, lot better today than they were in match day one. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I think they will have taken a lot of confidence from tonight. If I look, Nick, at my World Cup wall ch chart in front of me, I realise I haven't taken down the one from Euro 2020. So I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know... What it means if England were if England win the group, they play second in that uh, in Group A, right? But if they come second, which is which is possible, right? If they don't beat Wales in Iran or or the US win, um, does that mean they play France? No, they'll play first in first in that group. But basically, they, those two groups groups in, in the next round, if, if I'm right, are in next to be tied. So first, so England's group plays 
yeah, first right, and second okay. play each other. Um, and, and the same group goes for other groups that appeared in the competition. So it could be the Netherlands. It could be the Netherlands. Could, he, could be the Netherlands, although on today's evidence, and again, we're going to come to it, they've got their own issues, haven't they? Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think England have a mega amount to worry about from that group, but I do think today was a sharpener and a reality check. Just before we end part one, um, Barry, you noticed that uh, England tweeted out they'd lit the Wembley Arch with a rainbow. Is you know a lot a lot is talked about gestures and empty gestures and whether that's better than nothing or pointless. I don't know how you feel about it. I I don't like calling out people on virtue signalling because normally it's you know people mean well and I I suppose the FA meant well by lighting up the arch in in the uh, rainbow colours, but it seemed like an absolutely pitiful effort of aftertiming. They utterly bottled it uh, in their opening game against Iran when they could have worn the armband, which itself was a pretty pathetic gesture, but it was better than nothing. This is... I don't think this is better than nothing. I think it's worse than nothing. I don't think it's a very strong gesture. I'm very disappointed that they didn't wear the armbands. I'm very disappointed that Harry Kane didn't take a yellow card for his troubles. I also understand that it's an invidious situation to be in, really, um, and that the FA have as FAs go, being actually quite assertive and progressive on these issues more broadly. For me, personally, it's not enough. I mean, I think I was chatting to producer Joel about this before the pod. What, what I feel in all of this debate, and we will have it again and we don't need to have it for hours now, is that when we did that special on the LGBTQ plus community in Qatar, the one thing we got from those people, you know, the community who are in Qatar who are still going to be there when we've all gone, is... They weren't that fussed about it. They didn't really want rainbows. They didn't really want huge controversy. They didn't really want all this debate because they fear for recriminations after everyone's gone. And it feels like that, that is exactly what has happened, actually. And, and it doesn't take away from, you know, if you're a Wales LGBTQ plus fan and you want to wear that hat, of course you do. And you want to do that with pride because it's what you care about. And that matters. But it also matters to the community that ha- are basically voiceless in all of this. And are sort of, I feel sort of largely being forgotten in this whole debate i'm not it doesn't take away from people caring about wanting to take their flag in or wear their shirt or wear their hat or whatever but that voiceless community are voiceless and still will be you know on december the 20th when we're worried about the carabao cup and and i think we you know if i've learned anything from this i think it is complex and i think it is nuanced and i think we're all still trying to learn what the right thing to feel about all these things is but i think that's something that we shouldn't forget all right that'll do for part one part two uh we will look more in depth at wales and begin with a very sad voice note from ellis james finding your perfect home was hard but thanks to burrow furnishing it has never been easier burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium durable materials including stain and scratch resistant fabrics so they're not just comfortable and stylish they're built to last Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Now, the last time we did this, we had a great response from the Football Weekly audience. So thank you in advance. Uh, or if you've already supported us in the past, thank you. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, the Football Weekly audience is the most loyal of all Guardian consumers and also the tightest. And here's where we ask you for money. Uh, unlike David Beckham, we're not getting paid millions of pounds to talk about this World Cup. The Guardian is independent and relies on support from our readers to keep you bringing podcasts like this and also important things. Uh, We don't put up paywalls. Uh, Anyone across the world, no matter what they can afford, can read our journalism, listen to our podcasts, watch our documentaries. If you would like to give us all your money, uh, you can go to theguardian.com slash Daily and support our coverage. Uh, Only takes a minute. And obviously, if you go to that link, they'll see quite how useful we are. And me and Barry will get holdalls full of cash. Uh, And that is the important part of this. So uh, theguardian.com slash World Cup Daily. And thank you to all of you across the world who support us. Uh, There are more than a million of you. 
Barry and I are very grateful. Anyway, look, we talked about England. Let's talk about Wales, nil, Iran, two. Uh, Niall says, instead of a voice note from Ellis James, can you play something less heartbreaking, like maybe a seal getting clubbed to death? I don't think I can cope. Many people asked about Ellis's welfare, and here is how he's feeling. Oh, my God. (laughs) I've put recording this voice note off for a couple of hours. The one phrase that's kept spinning around my mind is that quote from Alan Partridge when he says, that was a negative. And right now, I need two positives. One to cancel out the negative and one just so I can have a positive. That was a tough watch. Iran to Wales nil. You'd have to be absolutely deluded. And I am to think that Wales deserved anything out of that. We weren't good enough from the first minute. Congratulations to Iran. In terms of what we were hoping for, what we were hoping for was almost a direct, well, carbon copy of what happened at uh, Euro 2020. So it was a nervy one-all draw against Switzerland, if you remember, uh, last year, followed up by Bale and Ramsey rolling back the years. Ramsey in particular was superb that night against Turkey. We beat Turkey 2-1 and then did enough to qualify. Wasn't to be this time round. I don't think anyone performed particularly well, but Baylor Ramsey in particular were anonymous. I'm disappointed, obviously. I, I'm not I'm not angry with them. I, I can never be angry with them. Certainly not when you think about the um, the memories and the times they've given us. On the train on the way back, I watched um, a highlight reel of Gareth Bale's performance against Iceland in March 2014. God, he was unreal that night. But that was then, this is now. Worryingly, it did feel a little bit like the end of an era. You know, when you've got your big, important senior players playing poorly like that, then, you know, your mind inevitably turns to freshening the squad up Rob Page actually said that um, after the game. He said, listen, we can't carry people. And if I need to freshen things up in, with the starting lineup against England on Tuesday night, then I will do that. So interesting to see what he means by that and who he'll drop, if anyone. But we just, we, we weren't good enough. We were never good enough. If I sound a little bit tired, I had a, a, a genuinely, I was so preoccupied by today's game, I had a genuinely sleepless night. <laughs> I haven't slept at all. But I chose this life, Max. Uh, I'm not in an insomniac. This doesn't happen very often. But I'm absolutely knackered. I just, I just had an espresso because I've got to pick the children up in a, in a minute. To uh, and I'm a bit tired. But uh, having had the espresso, I'm still tired. But now I'm grinding my teeth. So that's a bit of fun. We're not mathematically out of it. I mean, we could still technically qualify. I just think that it's uh, very unlikely. England now on Tuesday night. God, I hope we just don't get hammered. That's the that's the big concern. I'm despondent. I'm not angry uh, because the ambition has always been to see Wales at a World Cup and we've done that and you can never question the players' commitment. However, that wasn't an easy football match to watch. I did an awful lot of pacing. Oh, Christ. Thank you, Ellis. It took Ellis a few hours, Barry, to send that voice note. Uh, he was pretty bereft, and we feel for him. We do, yeah. And I think he probably feels bereft, not because Wales lost, but just the manner of their defeat was it was pretty abject. I, I was hoping they'd win the game, I have to say, but they were incredibly disappointed. So they played four halves of football in this tournament, and in three of them were pretty diabolically bad. And... I feel for Rob Page because he's in a very difficult position. He he simply has to pick Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, and they contributed nothing. And even when it came to, to bring in Joe Allen, who also contributed, not only contributed nothing, but played a hand in, in both Iran goals by giving the ball away, he, di- he didn't take off Ramsey. He took off Ethan Ampadu, who was actually playing well. And I think that was a mistake, you know, Almost as if, oh well, it's Rambo. He he might contribute to some sort of fairy tale, and there's just too many players in that Welsh 
squad who aren't playing enough first-team football, and you can't carry that many passengers. Wayne Hennessy barely gets a look in at Burnley. I don't think he's played a minute for them. Harry Wilson, Aaron Ramsey, Gareth Bale all started today, and none of them are playing regular football. Harry Wilson, I, I did a talk. He's played 267 minutes for Fulham this season. Not a lot. Joe Allen came on. He playing. He's playing very little football, and he made two bad mistakes. You can't get away with carrying that amount of passengers. It's it's going to cost you, and it showed in the second half where where Wales really wilted badly, and but I'm not sure what Rob Page could could have done. You know, you if he benched Gareth Bale and Wales didn't win, he he would be a pariah. I think. And so yeah, it's 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 just difficult for him. Chris says, has there, has there been a more beautifully synchronised knee crumple than Wales defenders after the first goal? I mean, it was like five Sammy Kafours, wasn't it, Nick? And and you do wonder, and it isn't about, it's harsh to, to go down to individual moments because there were other times Iran could have scored, of course, but how long Joe Allen will think about that clearance? You know, because he, he actually had time to take the ball and or just kick it as far as he possibly could. Just lump it, you in, what was it, the 98th minute, I mean, 99th minute even, and anywhere else on the pitch. And to be fair, the player's still got a lot to do, and he, he drills in a really good finish. Could, could Danny Ward have done a little bit better? I don't know if he was unsighted, but it seemed to me that he very nearly got there and just got a little bit of glove on it. Um, maybe that's harsh. He'd obviously not been on, on the pitch that long and hadn't faced too many shots. Um yeah, tough on Wales, and I think one of the difficult things for them now, I mean, obviously they are still in this competition, they're, they're, they're going to have to pull something out of a bag that's quite special against England. One of, the thing, one of the things now is that was a really physically intense game. That was an absolute, you know, struggle for both teams from first to last. It was intense. So was Wales' game against the US a few days previously. Barry's quite rightly alluded to the minutes or lack of play by a lot of that team. We've, we've, we know and have spoken before about Bale's rustiness and, and that kind of thing. How, how do you go again in a few days' time with these lads against, you know, even if it ends up being, for whatever reason, a few of England's fringe players, who are still very, very good fringe players, how do you do it and go again and keep up? Really tough situation that they're now in. And it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because although they were completely outplayed and I think as as again I've, I think Barry said dominated in in midfield you look back at that early chance for Kiefer Moore don't you where he I mean he was five or six yards out jabbed it straight at the keeper who blocked and never really got another look in I, I'm seeing this off Twitter but someone said someone wrote the problem with with starting Kiefer Moore is that you can't then bring him on as a sub and I thought that was a, <laughs> a good fairly, fairly savvy observation but look Iran were excellent even, even when England were demolishing Iran a few days ago and obviously England, England were, were fantastic I, I did think Iran are probably a bit better than this and I think we had to look at a lot of what happened in their build-up and I think they showed it this time and I think they probably had a look at Wales in the first game and thought, look, we can take these if we sort ourselves out, because Wales in, in the first half against the US especially could have been more than one down. And I think Carlos Guerras, he, he changed to a back four, didn't he? And I think he went a bit more expansive. And Asmoon, who is a fantastic striker, wasn't fit enough to start against England, but we saw in the latter stages of that game where he did come on and what he can offer. I think he made a big difference to them. He didn't score, obviously. I think he hit the post, didn't he, in, in the second half in, as part of that crazy sequence where they hit the post twice and have have um, have, have a rebound saved by Hennessy. Um, but I think Asmin just gives them that little bit more dynamism, that little bit more intensity and insistency. And it kind of rubbed off on everyone else. And Iran were well worth it. And Wales just, after that more miss, never really in the game. And I think, just summarising again, they're going to have a big physical struggle now to do anything against England. I know that's pessimistic, but I think it's true. Can I just say, by the way, Max, I, I pointed out that Wayne Hennessy isn't getting a look in at Burnley, and the reason for that is he is no longer at Burnley. It's, <laughs> not, it's Nottingham Forest he doesn't play for. Um, Paul, how much... I mean, I don't know what Wayne Hennessy is doing there, but I suppose the key, I always think, with life is to do things with conviction. And he definitely did that with conviction, didn't he? Had he been six inches the other side, he could have ended up with a actual conviction um it, you know it was reckless 
I'm not entirely sure it was necessary. You know, he was, he, was, he, was, he was lucky in the end. I think he sort of made an adjustment to his body at the very end and kind of avoided getting the studs into the guy and just clattered him with his hip instead. But it was definitely, it was definitely a red card, you know, that, that turned the game. I, I, guess, I guess from my point of view, they have nothing to lose Wales in the last game. That's the only, that's the only thing, you know. They've, they've, they've got this far. This is, they've sort of achieved the miracle, as I think sort of Ellis alluded to. And now, yeah, it's, it's, it's win or bust. I think he would do well to bring somebody like Brennan Johnson into the starting 11, give a bit more energy up front. But effectively, at this point, they're out. So, you know, why not, why not go for it against, against England and see what happens? I, don't, I, I certainly don't think they should be throwing their towels in at this stage. Yeah, Ewan says that in yesterday's pod, you suggested the reverse analogy of hanging Richarlison's goal in the Louvre didn't work. However, on today's evidence, do you think Michelangelo's David could have done a better job than Aaron Ramsey in Wales midfield. And I know you've mentioned this, Barry, but I do think, Nick, that you could probably have one of Ramsey and Bale. Like, you could probably have Bale because he can do something magical. But I, I really, you know, you're watching Ramsey and you're just thinking, he is a total passenger in this football match. Yeah, he did. And, you know, Aaron Ramsey's been a, a legend for Wales and has been behind some of their best, best moments in the last five or six years. But the game changes, moves on as you age. You you need legs in there. You need legs as well. In, in the heat, it was very, very hot at lunchtime here today. It's, it's, it's getting hotter over the next few days as well, having cooled down a bit um, earlier in the week. And I think, yeah, if, it, if you're going to use one, use the one who can pull something out of nothing on a, any given occasion, even if it's a reliable penalty. So I think, yeah... In this day and age, you can't really use them both and maybe you have to sacrifice a bit of talent for a bit more industry and reliability of the ball. I mean, I just don't think Wales are in the position where they can drop Bell in, in any circumstances. He is the one person who can make something happen um, out of nothing. Even if his body isn't up to it, his, his left foot still is, his brain still is. But I just feel sorry for Rob Page because the gulf between those players that he's been able to rely on for so long, but yet can't anymore, and the quality of the rest of the squad. I mean, if you look at the midfield options that are available to him, below Aaron Ramsey and Joe Allen, you've got players who are at MK Dons, Dundee United, Huddersfield, Swindon Town. So, you know, he's stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And actually, Barry, we need to remember that, you know, Wales got to a World Cup and Rob Page has done an absolutely brilliant job in doing that. And it is a pretty sad day to be a Wales fan and there are criticisms you could lay at him but the, the the bigger picture as Ellis said is you can't be angry with these players or the coaching staff because they got there I saw a thing on Sky Sports News earlier where a, or, or an on-site reporter was trying to interview Wales fans coming out of the ground and none of them wanted to speak to him uh, one of them swore on air and he had to apologise obviously because you can't have that kind of language on the television but yeah, they looked fed up and I think they hoped for better. I, I think they probably deserved a little better as well. But getting to the World Cup was a good achievement for Wales, an excellent achievement. Um, and they just didn't have enough left in the tank. I, th- I think one thing to put into that in the pissed offness of fans stakes is, you know, y- you qualify on a technical basis, but you partly want to go to the World Cup for the experience. And I really don't think that the fan, the experienced fans are going to have had in Qatar compares to, certainly not to 2016, um, in terms of, you know, how much fun you can have out here, how much of a collective experience you can have. It's just not the same. So actually, you are relying so much more. Um, you're relying on the experiences within the grounds for any atmosphere at the tournament, but you're also relying on good performances on the pitch to make memories, and they haven't had those. People have been in touch about the situation in Iran, um, which we haven't talked about too much in depth, partly because I'm loath to talk about things that we don't really understand. But he says, look, he sent a picture, Masha sent a picture of Voira Gafuri, former Iranian right back. Uh, one day before this game, he was arrested by security forces uh, during a training session at his club, current club, Fulad FC. The reason insulting and undermining the Iranian national team. Patrick Winter, writing in The Guardian, said that Iranian security forces on Thursday arrested one of the country's most famous footballers, accusing him of spreading propaganda against the Islamic Republic and seeking to undermine the National World Cup team. 
The former member of the Iranian national team was detained after a training session with his club on charges of having, quote, tarnished the reputation of the national team and spread propaganda against the state, uh, according to the Fars news agency. Other agencies said he was being charged with insulting and intending to destroy the national football team and speaking against the regime. Um, though not part of the World Cup squad, his arrest is likely to be seen as a warning to the players not to repeat their protests. Uh, we're hopefully going to do more on that um, in, in the coming days. Yes, Nick? Yeah, um, well, I just think on that, on on a general note, without going in full in, into the complexities and, and the sheer sadness of that situation, I think we can safely say pretty remarkable showing for Iran to be coming out and playing football like that, given what is hanging over them or hanging over many of them. Um, at the moment yeah totally agree Um, uh, that'll do for part two Uh, part three we'll talk about group A every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss plus with a US based restoration specialist on your team you won't have to face drained accounts fraudulent loans or other losses from identity theft alone all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, In your inbox every day during the tournament, much like Football Weekly Pods, the team at Football Daily are releasing a newsletter every morning uh, to get the latest on Qatar while you wait for Football Weekly. Head to theguardian.com slash newsletters. Uh, Let's do Group A. Uh, We're saying that we've changed our formation and Nick and Paul are sitting next to each other in the Doha Media Centre rather than uh, a million miles apart. So it might sound slightly different. It might not. Who knows? Uh, Okay, then Group A. Uh, reads as follows. Netherlands, Ecuador both have four points. Uh, Netherlands at the top of the group. Senegal on three. Qatar out of the World Cup. Uh, Senegal almost definitely need to beat Ecuador to progress, assuming Netherlands beat Qatar. A draw or better for Ecuador will see them through. Uh, they can also top the group if they better Netherlands. Goal difference. Uh, let's do the Netherlands-Ecuador game. And actually, Barry, I thought um, I thought Ecuador deserved to win this. I thought they were brilliant in this game. Yeah, they probably did deserve to win. They started quite meekly. And went a goal down within six minutes. A terrific left-footed finish from the right-footed Cody Gakpo, who I suspect will be highly in demand in January. And each game he plays, his price is going up uh, quite a lot, I suspect. But uh, Ecuador had a goal disallowed just before half-time, scored just after half-time. Uh, the goal which was disallowed was correctly disallowed for an offside. Ener Valencia scored. Unfortunately for Ecuador, he later went off with what looked like a recurrence of the knee injury he suffered on Monday in their first game. He was carried off in a stretcher, and you'd have to say that is probably his tournament over, and he'd be a huge loss for them, obviously. While the score is finished level, Ecuador absolutely bossed the second half. They hit the post, they missed a couple of chances. Purvis Estupinen, the Brighton guy, one of three Brighton players on the pitch for Ecuador at the end of the game, was absolutely brilliant. He terrorised the Dutch down that left flank. He was getting crosses in. He was getting shots in. It was his shot that was parried into the path of Valencia by the, the Netherlands goalkeeper, whose save from Estupinan's shot was brilliant, brilliant one-handed save, and he couldn't really help the fact that uh, Valencia was, was on hand to smash home the rebound. But um, I would say Ecuador will be disappointed they didn't win that. They'd have bitten your hand off for a point before the game started. Yeah, they, they should have won. And Netherlands were were really hanging on in that second half and towards the end. I mean, I don't know if I'm living in 1988. I, Paul, I am slightly. Obviously, I'm definitely living in the 90s. But I, I just sort of expect the Netherlands to be better. They've got some excellent players, but they've got a kind of mishmash squad, haven't they? Like up front there, they seem pretty toothless they don't know whether to go with a target man and they've got so many they've got you know they've got Janssen de Jong and Veghorst to choose from or not and it just didn't this didn't quite work today I think looking at the uh looking at the squad at the beginning of the tournament I thought actually this this isn't this isn't very strong you've got Van Dijk and Ake as a centre-half pairing that's not that you know that looks decent although I don't think they play particularly well so far but you know, Frankie de, Frankie de Jong I think he's still somebody we remember from four years ago as being this breakthrough talent. 
And I'm not sure he's particularly cemented his reputation. And he's the most creative player they've got in that team. And as you say, the forward options aren't great. However, Gakpo looks like a kid who wants to come and seize the tournament by the scruff of the neck. So at this point in time, I think you have to try and build it around him. He's got the, he's got the mobility. You need to get him more service. He's, you know, looks like a good, complete package, actually. They look a bit slow. They look a bit short of ideas. And, you know, I think for the last half an hour of that game, they were doing their best to scuzz it up and, st and, and, not, and not lose because they realised the consequences for their prospects if that happened. Gonzalo Plata hitting the bar. Uh, well, that's a great hit, wasn't it? Very unlucky. John says, can we take a moment for the Ecuador away kit? I quite like this kit. I don't know. I know Barry's not interested in football kits. Nick, I don't know if they move you or not, but I, I thought it was quite a nice number the Ecuadorians were in. I'm more moved by the Palermo shirt Paul's currently wearing, actually, which you, you can't see, but, uh, um, well, you can see. Uh, yeah, nice kit. I mean, the listeners can't see, and arguably the podcast is kind of for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is mainly for me and Barry, but... The listeners cannot see that Paul is wearing a very nice Palermo shirt. In fact, he's rocking a very nice Palermo shirt. Uh, yes, Ecuador's kit is very nice and smart. I don't have much more to add, uh, but they're... They're a good team, nice in the transitions. And if things go as they may well go, um, we could have a repeat of Ecuador versus England, the famously quite dull <laughs> round of 16 game won by David Beckham free kick in uh, 2006, which um, is actually, I, I, um, just to self-plug a piece of work, I interviewed the three Brighton lads just before the tournament. You can find it on uh, the Guardian website. And it was quite obvious, actually, from talking to... Peris Estupinan, who, who's the oldest one of the three, um, who remember that game, that that match has actually left a bit of an impression on the Ecuadorian psyche because they came very close early on and hit the bar through Tenorio and then they kind of fell away and lost. So it'll be very interesting if today's results mean that we've got a bit of a rematch there because that will mean a heck of a lot in Ecuador historically. Yeah, I mean, we should have dropped Beckham for Aaron Lennon in that World Cup. And I stand by that, even though I think Beckham either scored or assisted every single goal that England scored in 2006. Um, Barry, you look like you have something important to say. Well, it's not important, but I I obviously don't see a lot of PSV Eindhoven, but I am, do recall them playing Arsenal in Eindhoven in the Europa League when Xavi Simmons, who is in the Dutch squad, he's only 19, 18 or 19, I think, and Cody Gakpo absolutely tore the Arsenal defence apart, like made them look like ham-fisted amateurs. And I, I wonder why, if Louis van Gaal hasn't perhaps thought about putting the two of them on the pitch together, I think they could have caused Ecuador all sorts of problems today. I think Xavi Simmons was a bit of a wild card. It wasn't sure They weren't sure whether he'd get picked for the squad or not. But if he's there, why not give him a run out? I entirely agree. The the the, uh, the bravery, the fearlessness of youth, I think, can be an, a really good thing in tournaments, particularly in tournaments, because you don't have that time to hit that wall of early precocious form and sort of level level down again. I think Xavier Simmons is obviously a great talent, has exactly that skill set they need to kind of link the team up. I, I, I yeah, I, I think it might be worth giving giving that giving that a go in you know because Qatar, with all due respect, are god awful. Um, so you should have a chance to uh, make your mark in that match. Well, let's talk about that game then. Qatar out, um, uh, beating 3-1 by Senegal. Paul, you were there on official duty. Nick, you were just there on a jolly. Uh, what did you make of it, Paul? I, I mean, it wasn't a very good game. Senegal were better, but not good. Um, but I, I think I was just saying to Nick before the pod that listening to Ali Cisse afterwards, who very, very impressive, I thought. Um, I've also I also found the Morocco manager very impressive in my press conference experience. He was very good, very good talker. Anyway, by the by, um, yeah, I, I, he I think you could read in between the lines. There was a lot of psychological bad juju hanging over the team, and as bad as Qatar were, um, and as much as Senegal struggled to beat them, uh, it was important that they did. And now they've got three points on the board. Cisse's second World Cup win as a manager. You know, it'd be a first World Cup win for a lot of this squad. They can now take a bit of confidence. I think he said they were actually going to go out and celebrate this win. So, you know, try and really build the confidence and then go into this last match with Ecuador and, you know, try and win it because they're, they're going to they're gonna have to. I think there's lots more to come from Senegal. Um, if you listen to the Qatari manager, you know, they're, they're on a great journey of development too. And, uh, you know... 
this is going to be, there's going to be a passing of the baton between generations and so much more to learn and, you know, so delighted to have the support of the country behind them, et cetera, et cetera. But they're dross, they're really bad. And, you know, you can't envisage any way in which they would have got into the tournament had they not been hosts. So, you know, I think they've stunk the place out. They've got one more game to go. Senegal have got a bit of room, uh, bit of room for improvement, but hopefully also room to grow. Uh, Nick, Senegal had to beat Ecuador to get through. Do you think they will? On the evidence we've seen so far, no. Um, and I, I would like to agree with Paul that there's more to come from them because they've got some outstanding players. They're a very good side. I think we cut them some, some early slack for the fact that they've lost by far their most important player, which can, can definitely, as, as Cisse said, kind of rock a team, if you like. But from having watched a lot of their performances in AFCON, which they won, by the way, they're, they're not very quick on the transition. Not really. They don't play on the half turn very well in, in midfield. They're not smooth. And they they can get through games. And they're very good at hanging in games, I think. And, you know, very often winning them. But if I compare them with Ecuador today, who were lovely and fluent and, you know, balletic on the ball sometimes in midfield and spiriting the ball out smoothly to their, their, their very good wide players, sliding balls through... I just think there's a fluency about Ecuador that I don't think Senegal are capable of. I, I think they've got two excellent midfielders who play today, very experienced, like Gray and Mendy, both very good players, but they don't necessarily have that alternative who, um, who can come in and spin and just look up and quickly give the ball, play them a half turn, that kind of thing. So I think it'll be a very close game. It's, it's actually turned into a really interesting game, that very interesting. And it'll be tight. But Ecuador have a fluency that I don't think Senegal are quite capable of. Uh, so on to any other business, which is mainly reacting to yesterday's podcast and uh, and the policeman from Aloha, really. But um, uh, thank you to Emmett and Guna, who was the only other person. It's me and him who were admitting to having our face painted at some point as football fans. Uh, he sent us a picture from 1993 and an Arsenal face paint. So either the FA Cup or the uh, League Cup final. Thanks to a very good friend who did this for the Cup final. Uh, after the final, I went to a party. The host was not happy with the very red towels they found the next day. Um, Stevie says, since listening to last night's pod, I've been reading the stats like Officer Crabtree from Hello Hello. How many pisses the Brazilian team made and how many of their shats were on target? Uh, Matthew says, how on earth was your hilarious hello, hello chat, followed by an advert starting, hello, hello. Good morning to you both from me on behalf of my mum, who continues to use that greeting to this day. Andy says, good morning. The police officer from hello, hello bit is doing nothing to help my broken ribs, but I haven't started a day in a better way this week. So thanks for that. And some breaking news, Barry, on that actual subject. Yeah, um, apparently it wasn't the policeman from hello, hello <laughs> who worked as a sub-editor on <laughs> the Guardian Sports Desk. It was her flick who right as a sub-editor on the Guardian Sports Day. <laughs> so, so we need to withdraw all the laughter that we had yesterday. It was all for nothing. We lied about the policeman, but we didn't mean to. It was an honest mistake. It was an honest mistake, and I'm very pleased you did it. Um, I don't often listen back to these. I feel like doing it is enough, but I did listen back to that, and I found it very funny. Um, and look, that'll do for today's pod. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, of course, but uh, for the time being. Thank you, Paul. Hey, thank you. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Barry. Thanks. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian. 